This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. The Red House Mystery by A. A. Milne. Chapter 19 The Inquest. The coroner, having made a few commonplace remarks, as to the terrible nature of the tragedy which they had come to investigate that afternoon, proceeded to outline the case to the jury. Witnesses would be called to identify the deceased as Robert Ablett, the brother of the owner of the Red House, Mark Ablett. It would be shown that he was something of a ne'er-do-well, who had spent most of his life in Australia, and that he had announced, in what might almost be called a threatening letter, his intention of visiting his brother that afternoon. There would be evidence of his arrival, of his being shown into the scene of the tragedy, a room in the Red House, commonly called the office, and of his brother's entrance into that room. The jury would have to form their own opinion as to what happened there. But whatever happened, happened almost instantaneously. Within two minutes of Mark Ablett's entrance, as would be shown in the evidence, a shot was heard. And when, perhaps five minutes later, the room was forced open, the dead body of Robert Ablett was found stretched upon the floor. As regards Mark Ablett, nobody had seen him from the moment of his going into the room, but evidence would be called to show that he had enough money on him, at the time, to take him to any other part of the country, and that a man answering to his description had been observed on the platform of Stanton Station, apparently waiting to catch the 3.55 up-train to London. As the jury would realize, such evidence of identity was not always reliable. Missing men had a way of being seen in a dozen different places at once. In any case, there was no doubt that for the moment Mark Ablett had disappeared. "'Seems a sound man,' whispered Antony to Bill doesn't talk too much. Antony did not expect to learn much from the evidence. He knew the facts of the case so well by now. But he wondered if Inspector Birch had developed any new theories. If so, they would appear in the coroner's examination. For the coroner would certainly have been coached by the police as to the important facts to be extracted from each witness. Bill was the first to be put through it. "'Now about this letter, Mr. Beverley,' he was asked when his chief evidence was over. "'Did you see it at all?' "'I didn't see the actual writing. I saw the back of it. Mark was holding it up when he told us about his brother.' "'You don't know what was in it, then?' Bill had a sudden shock. He had read the letter only that morning. He knew quite well what was in it. But it wouldn't do to admit this. And then— just as he was about to perjure himself, he remembered. Antony had heard Cayley telling the inspector. "'I knew afterwards. I was told. But Mark didn't read it out at breakfast.' "'You gathered, however, that it was an unwelcome letter?' "'Oh, yes.' "'You would say that Mark was frightened by it?' "'Not frightened. Sort of bitter and resigned. Sort of—' "'Oh, Lord, here we are again!' There was a titter here and there. The coroner smiled and tried to pretend that he hadn't. "'Thank you, Mr. Beverley.' 
the next witness was summoned, by the name of Andrew Amos, and Antony looked up with interest, wondering who he was. "'He lives at the inner lodge,' whispered Bill to him. All that Amos had to say was that a stranger had passed by his lodge at a little before three that afternoon, and had spoken to him. He had seen the body and recognized it as the man. "'What did he say?' "'Is this right for the Red House, or something like that, sir?' "'What did you say?' "'I said, this is the Red House. Who do you want to see? He was a bit rough-looking, you know, sir, and I didn't know what he was doing there.' "'Well?' "'Well, sir,' he said, "'is Mr. Mark Ablett at home? It doesn't sound much put like that, sir. But I didn't care about the way he said it, so I got in front of him like and said, "'What do you want, eh?' And he gave a sort of chuckle and said, I want to see my dear brother Mark. Well, then I took a closer look at him, and I see that perhaps he might be his brother, so I said, If you'll follow the drive, sir, you'll come to the house. Of course, I can't say if Mark Ablett's at home. And he gave a sort of nasty laugh again, and said, Fine place Mr. Mark Ablett's got here. Plenty of money to spend, eh? Well, then I had another look at him, sir, because gentlemen don't talk like that and if he was Mr. Ablett's brother. But before I could make up my mind, he laughed and went on. That's all I can tell you, sir. Andrew Amos stepped down and moved away to the back of the room. Nor did Antony take his eyes off him until he was assured that Amos intended to remain there until the inquest was over. "'Who's Amos talking to now?' he whispered to Bill. "'Parsons, one of the gardeners.' He's at the outside lodge on the Stanton Road. They're all here today, sort of holiday for him. I wonder if he's giving evidence, too, thought Antony. He was. He followed Amos. He had been at work on the lawn in front of the house, and had seen Robert Ablett arrive. He didn't hear the shot, not to notice. He was a little hard of hearing. He had seen a gentleman arrive about five minutes after Mr. Robert— "'Can you see him in the court now?' asked the coroner. Parsons looked round slowly. Antony caught his eye and smiled. "'That's him,' said Parsons, pointing. Everybody looked at Antony. "'That was about five minutes afterwards?' "'About that, sir.' "'Did anybody come out of the house before this gentleman's arrival?' "'No, sir. That is to say, I didn't see him.' Stevens followed. She gave her evidence much as she had given it to the inspector. Nothing new was brought out by her examination. Then came Elsie. As the reporters scribbled down what she had overheard, they added in brackets, SENSATION, for the first time that afternoon. "'How soon after you heard this did the shot come?' asked the coroner. "'Almost at once, sir.' "'A minute?' "'I couldn't really say, sir.' It was all so quick. Were you still in the hall? Oh, no, sir. I was just outside Mrs. Stevens' room, the housekeeper, sir. You didn't think of going back to the hall to see what had happened? Oh, no, sir. I just went in to Mrs. Stevens, and she said, Oh, what was that? Frightened-like. And I said, That was in the house, Mrs. Stevens, that was. Just like something going off it was. "'Thank you,' said the coroner. 
There was another emotional disturbance in the room, as Cayley went into the witness-box. Not sensation this time, but an eager and, as it seemed to Antony, sympathetic interest. Now they were getting to grips with the drama. He gave his evidence carefully, unemotionally, the lies, with the same slow deliberation as the truth. Antony watched him intently, wondering what it was about him which had this odd sort of attractiveness. For Antony, who knew that he was lying, and lying, as he believed, not for Mark's sake, but his own, yet could not help sharing some of that general sympathy with him. "'Was Mark ever in possession of a revolver?' asked the coroner. "'Not to my knowledge. I think I should have known if he had been. Were you alone with him all that morning? Did he talk about this visit of Robert's at all?' "'I didn't see very much of him in the morning. I was at work in my room, and outside, and so on. We lunched together, and he talked of it then a little. In what terms?' "'Well,' He hesitated, and then went on. "'I can't think of a better word than peevishly. Occasionally, he said, "'What do you think he wants?' or, "'Why couldn't he have stayed where he was?' or, "'I don't like the tone of this letter. Do you think he means trouble?' He talked rather in that kind of way. "'Did he express his surprise that his brother should be in England?' "'I think he was always afraid that he would turn up one day.' "'Yes. You didn't hear any conversation between the brothers when they were in the office together?' "'No. I happened to go into the library just after Mark had gone in, and I was there all the time. Was the library door open?' "'Oh, yes. Did you see or hear the last witness at all?' "'No.' "'If anybody had come out of the office while you were in the library, would you have heard it?' "'I think so.' unless they had come out very quietly on purpose. "'Would you call Mark a hasty-tempered man?' Cayley considered this carefully before answering. "'Hasty-tempered, yes,' he said, "'but not violent-tempered.' "'Was he fairly athletic, active and quick?' "'Active and quick, yes. Not particularly strong.' "'Yes. One question more.' Was Mark in the habit of carrying any considerable sum of money about with him? Yes. He always had one one-hundred-pound note on him, and perhaps ten or twenty pounds as well. Thank you, Mr. Cayley. Cayley went back heavily to his seat. Damn it! said Antony to himself. Why do I like the fellow? Antony Gillingham. Again, the eager interest of the room could be felt. Who was this stranger who had got mixed up in the business so mysteriously? Antony smiled at Bill and stepped up to give his evidence. He explained how he came to be staying at the George at Waldheim, how he had heard that the Red House was in the neighbourhood, how he had walked over to see his friend Beverly, and had arrived just after the tragedy. Thinking it over afterwards, he was fairly certain that he had heard the shot, but it had not made any impression on him at the time. He had come to the house from the Waldheim end, and consequently had seen nothing of Robert Ablett, who had been a few minutes in front of him. From this point his evidence coincided with Cayley's. "'You and the last witness reached the French windows together and found them shut?' "'Yes. 
you pushed them in and came to the body. Of course, you had no idea whose body it was? No. Did Mr. Cayley say anything? He turned the body over, just so as to see the face, and when he saw it he said, Thank God. Again the reporters wrote sensation. Did you understand what he meant by that? I asked him who it was, and he said that it was Robert Ablett. Then he explained that he was afraid at first it was the cousin with whom he lived, Mark. Yes. Did he seem upset? Very much so at first, less when he found that it wasn't Mark. There was a sudden snigger from a nervous gentleman in the crowd at the back of the room, and the coroner put on his glasses and stared sternly in the direction from which it came. The nervous gentleman hastily decided that the time had come to do up his bootlace. The coroner put down his glasses and continued. Did anybody come out of the house while you were coming up the drive? No. Thank you, Mr. Gillingham. He was followed by Inspector Birch. The inspector, realizing that this was his afternoon, and that the eyes of the world were upon him, produced a plan of the house and explained the situation of the different rooms. The plan was then handed to the jury. Inspector Birch, so he told the world, had arrived at the Red House at 4.42 p.m. on the afternoon in question. He had been received by Mr. Matthew Cayley, who had made a short statement to him, and he had then proceeded to examine the scene of the crime. The French windows had been forced from outside. The door leading into the hall was locked. He had searched the room thoroughly and had found no traces of a key. In the bedroom leading out of the office he had found an open window. There were no marks on the window, but it was a low one, and as he found from experiment, quite easy to step out of without touching it with the boots. A few yards outside the window a shrubbery began. There were no recent footmarks outside the window, but the ground was in a very hard condition owing to the absence of rain. In the shrubbery, however, he found several twigs on the ground recently broken off, together with other evidence that some body had been forcing its way through. He had questioned everybody connected with the estate and none of them had been into the shrubbery recently. By forcing a way through the shrubbery it was possible for a person to make a detour of the house, and to get to the Stanton end of the park without ever being in sight of the house itself. He had made inquiries about the deceased. Deceased had left for Australia some fifteen years ago, owing to some financial trouble at home. Deceased was not well spoken of in the village from which he and his brother had come. Deceased and his brother had never been on good terms, and the fact that Mark Ablett had come into money had been a cause of great bitterness between them. It was shortly after this that Robert had left for Australia. He had made inquiries at Stanton Station. It had been market day at Stanton, and the station had been more full of arrivals than usual. Nobody had particularly noticed the arrival of Robert Ablett. There had been a good many passengers by the 210 train that afternoon, the train by which Robert had undoubtedly come from London. A witness, however, would state that he noticed a man resembling Mark Ablett at the station at 3.53 p.m. that afternoon, and this man caught the 3.55 up train to town. There was a pond in the ground of the Red House. He had dragged this, but without result. Antony listened to him carelessly thinking his own thoughts all the time. Medical evidence followed, 
but there was nothing to be got from that. He felt so close to the truth. At any moment something might give his brain the one little hint which it wanted. Inspector Birch was just pursuing the ordinary. Whatever else this case was, it was not ordinary. There was something uncanny about it. John Borden was giving evidence. He was on the up-platform, seeing a friend off by the 3.55 on Tuesday afternoon. He had noticed a man on the platform, with coat-collar turned up and a scarf round his chin. He had wondered why the man should do this on such a hot day. The man seemed to be trying to escape observation. Directly, the train came in, he hurried into a carriage, and so on. "'There's always a John Borden at every murder case.' said Antony to himself. "'Have you ever seen Mark Ablett?' "'Once or twice, sir. Was it he?' "'I never got a good look at him, sir, what with his collar turned up, and the scarf and all. But directly I heard of the sad affair, and that Mr. Ablett was missing, I said to Mrs. Borden, "'Now I wonder if that was Mr. Ablett I saw at the station.' So then we talked it over and decided that I ought to come and tell Inspector Birch.' It was just Mr. Ablett's height, sir. Antony went on with his thoughts. The coroner was summing up. The jury, he said, had now heard all the evidence and would have to decide what had happened in that room between the two brothers. How had the deceased met his death? The medical evidence would probably satisfy them that Robert Ablett had died from the effects of a bullet wound in the head. Who had fired that bullet? If Robert Ablett had fired it himself, no doubt they would bring in a verdict of suicide. But if this had been so, where was the revolver which had fired it? And what had become of Mark Ablett? If they disbelieved in this possibility of suicide, what remained? Accidental death, justifiable homicide, and murder. Could the deceased have been killed accidentally? It was possible— but then would Mark Ablett have run away? The evidence that he had run away from the scene of the crime was strong. His cousin had seen him go into the room. The servant, Elsie Wood, had heard him quarrelling with his brother in the room. The door had been locked from the inside. And there were signs that outside the open window someone had pushed his way very recently through the shrubbery. Who, if not Mark, they would have then to consider whether he would have run away if he had been guiltless of his brother's death. No doubt innocent people lost their heads sometimes. It was possible that if it were proved afterwards that Mark Ablett had shot his brother, it might also be proved that he was justified in so doing, and that when he ran away from his brother's corpse he had really nothing to fear at the hands of the law. In this connection he need hardly remind the jury that they were not the final tribunal and that if they found Mark Ablett guilty of murder, it would not prejudice his trial in any way, if and when he was apprehended. The jury could consider their verdict. They considered it. They announced that the deceased had died as the result of a bullet wound, and that the bullet had been fired by his brother, Mark Ablett. Bill turned round to Antony at his side, but Antony was gone. Across the room he saw Andrew Amos and Parsons going out of the door together, and Antony was between them. End of chapter 19